Shit your pants if you want to Let the ground flow from behind Cause if I shit my pants and you don't shit your pants Then you're no friend of mine So shit your pants where you want to Anywhere you feel is fine And we can say that it's normal and that you smell bad Leave our sense for you to find We'll shit our pants We can go when we want to, the pants are new and so divine And we can shit so complete from our butts to our feet And surprise them with our straining cry So shit our pants if we want to, if we don't nobody will And they will know that we're rude and totally removed And they'll know I'm an imbecile Now shit your pants, shit your pants, everything's out of control Shit your pants, shit your pants, we're doing it from hole to hole Shit your pants Shit your pants, everyone look at the pants Shit your pants, shit your pants Everyone should take the chance And shit your pants Oh well, shit your pants Ah yes, shit your pants Files. It's time for the SLS cast with your hosts Matt and Tim. Here we go in five, four, three, two, one, press R. And five, four, three. And welcome, welcome one and all to episode 30 of the SLS cast. That's right, we are now at the Triple X episode. But, unlike the wrestler, who you're disappointed in when you find out he's fake, and the porn, which can sometimes be disturbing, we're just right. No, you didn't like that? Well, that was a very good uh, opening. Oh, It was very okay, epic. Yeah. Thank you, yes. I, 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 I've, you know, now that I'm kind of realizing this is my shtick at the beginning as well as the spiel at the end I, i'm i'm really thinking about these things i find myself up at night or i'll be at work and i'm driving and i'm like man i gotta think of something what can i do that'll go with 30 and i'm like wait a minute in roman numerals that's xxx hey i think <laughs> we got this so oh i am matt by the way and i am tim yes as you know Matt is the eloquent uh, speaker. I was eloquent. Shit. Words. Words, words, words. Look, I'm my own Bo Burnham episode. Okay. So what's been going on in your world there, Mr. Tim? Not much. We've uh, been back. It feels like we just recorded the episode the other day, which technically <laughs> we funny. did. It feels like it was only four days ago that we did this. <laughs> yeah, and I actually just now posted the episode, uh, last week's episode, like maybe five six hours ago so yes i haven't had a break yet from your voice which is which is not a bad thing it's a good thing well i I do like to try and have the dulcet tones soothe versus harm i don't want to have those (laughs) hey there sweetie how you doing kind of voices i'd much rather have the 
where where you almost want to fall asleep, but you don't because it's comforting, it's soothing, but it's not boring. It's not Bueller, Bueller, anyone, anyone. It's not that. It sounds like you could host BBC. Ah, man, if I could pull off a really good British accent, I would love to be able to do that. And now you're listening to BBC World Service. This is Matthew Quinton. That was okay. That wasn't bad. I mean, you even got the nice little, you know, the the pitch up, the step up in the voice. (laughs) BBC Service. I don't know. I feel like I have a better kind of Aussie thing in general than, than anything else. And of course, I can do all your requisite southern accents and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I would like to hear you, Aussie, if you can do it right now. Ooh, okay, all right. Let's. Uh, you know, it's not one of those things where I can just, just jump into switch it, switch into it. I have yeah. to kind of think about it for a minute because I, it's. I don't know. It's one of those things. It's, it's like where you could read. Like if I had something to read you know, a part or something I could do it, but it makes it a little bit more difficult. Oh golly gee, I don't know. Okay, well let's try this. Let's try I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into uh the first news item because it's really, really short and we'll we'll do like a little tiny mini news segment here and I'm just gonna read my uh thing from comingsoon.net about uh Ian McKellen, Sir Ian McKellen finishing the Hobbit thing, right? Okay. And from ComingSoon.net, they say, while it's not exactly news, it surely is a momentous occasion. So Ian McKellen just finished filming scenes as Gandalf for the Hobbit films, as Peter Jackson just posted the following with this picture. Seconds ago, we finished our last shot with Gandalf. This end of an incredible adventure that began in 1999, I'm feeling very sad right now. What do you think? Pretty good. Not bad. Not, Not bad. bad. I, I you sounded just like a uh, a Peter Jackson. Cool. I I guess what I can do a Peter Jackson impersonation. <laughs> I had I had no idea I could do that. That's outstanding. <laughs> Another person that I look like the before picture of and not the after. I'm gonna have to no, work on that. Not that again. Well, it's true. Look, I I got no bone. Uh, you know, the, uh, it's one of those things where I definitely know that I'm fat. That's fine. And I should lose some weight. That's fine. But I'm also not one of those people who mistakenly believes that just because you're fat, you know, that's the only thing that could ever be wrong with you. There are plenty of thin people who have fucked up problems and are really worse people than I am. So I'm okay with that. Let's just be honest. I'm also one of those people who thinks that it's okay if you want to be fat, but don't pretend it's anything like I've got a thyroid problem or I'm just big boned, whatever. And third rule is it's okay if you want to be fat, cover it up. Nobody wants to see that fucking shit. That's it. Those, those are the rules of being fat. All right. That's fine. Can so, you write a book and just call it nobody wants to see that fucking shit and just have your face like pointing <laughs> to the reader? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I, it, 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 I, I would do it. But it would have to be on the shelf next to Dennis Leary's book, Shut the Fuck Up by Dr. Dennis Leary. That would have to be right – those two books that would be right next to each other, I think. Do you ever like go in – I mean you don't like do what they did for the heat poster and airbrush your face so you have like a very anorexic looking 
face. Oh, that would be terrible. Where they did like, yeah, where where I've got a, a a fat fucking body, but somehow I managed to tone my face. I got the little chin exerciser thing. They actually make this. It's hilarious. It's this. It it basically looks like a Pez dispenser, but the but the but it doesn't have a flip top. Okay, it's just the top is kind of square, and so you put it against like your clavicle, right? You're just where your uh, uh, where your collarbones meet at the top yeah, of your chest clavicle that's a good word I've, i haven't used clavicle in in years hey I've kind of forgotten about that to be honest we, we are here to i, I tell you what you, you don't want to obfuscate the use of the word clavicle that's right i can play in a dictionary it's cool so anyways so you set it there and then the other part of it goes under your chin and literally you are just supposed to make a nodding motion okay and you make the nodding motion, and I guess this, this thing has resistance on it, so it's a hard to, to make the nodding motion. And it's supposed to make that little double chin go away. So that this way, you can be fat, but have an amazing Facebook picture. Since a lot of people that are fat only take uh, Facebook photos kind of facing down, so the chin kind of like covers everything else. And they're usually super close. Yes. Actually, actually you can usually tell the dead giveaway... Of a fat person trying to hide it on Facebook is a upward. Actually, the camera is angled downward at an angle. Okay, so it's not like a straight shot. It's a, it's if they took their left hand and they went up, so that they have to look up and then off to the side, so that it so that they're now looking up and off to the left with their eyes, not so much with their face, but it pulls all the skin down on your neck so that you can actually see just a jaw. When you see those, run. Fellas, run. I mean, unless you're into that kind of thing, and then it's okay. Those are, those are the ones who are trying to hide something. Well, I'm really glad that our geeky movie podcast doesn't really cater towards overweight guys or we would be in so much trouble right now i'm an overweight guy i cater my cater to myself <laughs> that sounds good because it's a triple x thing yeah i cater to myself anyway or that can be a, that can be the name of your other book i cater <laughs> to myself <laughs> that reminds me of probably the best rodney dangerfield joke i ever made up i i, I don't make many claims in the world of comedy but i did make this joke up Let's hear it. All right, here we go. Oh, I get no respect. No respect whatsoever. I tell you, ATT wouldn't even let me reach out and touch myself. Oh. <laughs> That's right. Thank you very much. It's my nice. Only, it's nice. My tip, of the, tip of the hat to you. Yes. And how was your, well, so how was your week? How, 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 or I guess your last four days. <laughs> how was your weekend? Saw three movies in a row. It's been a while since I've done that. I've seen two in a row often, but three in a row kind of take the cake and since all the movies were at least two hours long or about two hours long it made for a really long day a really long friday and i never thought i'd ever say this but i actually got kind of sick of sitting in a movie theater that long so makes you wonder how ebert did it all those years huh well that's why he had a well i don't want to i don't want to say anything criticized because i don't know if it's too soon or not but that's why he had kind of like a fat ass <laughs> well, see that that's not. He had one of his balloon true. bodies. You, if you ever looked at Siskel, Siskel man, managed to stay in shape. Of course, he had cancer and died, so maybe that's what kept him in shape at the end. I don't know, and it can't be too soon for him. He's been dead for like what fifteen years now. 
memories. Right, Tim? Those were the days. <laughs> Those were the days back in... The salad days, as they recall. <laughs> back there in episode 30, the old episode 30, back when life wasn't as tough. When you That's just got right. up, had no job, and spent your days editing the SLS cast when it was you had we had more to edit back then believe it or yeah, not a lot more to edit back then oh my gosh when and we 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 thought we were so clever we we would try and do things like use music to cover up the to have music low low down in the background and stuff and, <sighs> but little we did had, we know we we we, we had like we had like uh, a third host once upon a time. <laughs> yeah. But little did we know when covering up the music really made my job much more harder now. Going back and remastering these wonderful clips. Because that's pretty much what we had to do, right? Remaster the audio. Yeah, this is, this is proof positive that Tim cares way, way more than I do. I believe that you... Our fans, um, you know, or shall we say fan, parenthesis, S, parenthesis. With quotations, um, right? You're, you're doing air <laughs> No, quotes. no, no, no. I'm just going to say fan, <laughs> parenthesis, S, parenthesis, because this way you can say fan or fans, um, would understand and go, wow, look at how far they've come. But no, Tim, Tim is fucking giving you the Criterion Edition, ooh, show title, the Criterion Edition of the SLS <laughs> Because that's what this is. This is truly episode 232. Clearly, this is not episode 30. It's episode 232. Um, and, and this is our first attempt at a best of, correct? Yes. Five years in the making, or six, if you count those first few. Well, since, I mean, I guess we kind of have to because we're kind of pulling our movie reviews from the original series. So I guess we got to do something. Yeah. More, more about those later. Yes, later, later. But why Why are we, you know, as we sit, strictly speaking, we've got about, you know, I have about, uh, oh, nope, it just switched over to the 9th. It's now officially the 9th of May for me. It's still the 8th of May for you, though, over in sunny California. Um, what, what, uh, well, well, what's it's going nighttime on? now. It is, it is true. Yeah. It is, I guess yeah. it's nighttime. Over there in nighttime California, um... What, what, what's going on there? Why, why, why are we not here? We are not here because I will be visiting the Mighty Five in Utah. Utah's Mighty Five on the Swiss Family Griswold camping road trip through Zion National Park, Bryce Canyon, and all those other really cool places still owned by the Navajo Native Americans. Right on. And so, uh, is there, are you celebrating anything? Are you doing anything? Or is this just because, hey, I felt like taking this particular week off? Well, you know, like it was for vacation and kind of celebrating a, a couple things. It was the end of the old script writing. And, uh, uh, well, I guess it may be my birthday. I don't know. I, there my it birthday is. really didn't really come into the, the <laughs> deciding factor of, of going. But maybe, maybe. Right on. So we've got a birthday boy, and then completely, literally by coincidence, this you changed was your birthday. In no way, shape, or form. No, no, just you know, in literally no way, shape, or form was this planned. I am going to be in Disney World. 
How? So as as you're listening to this, I'm it. You know, I'm either just coming back from Disney, depending on when you're listening, or uh, I may even still be in Disney World. What I'd ride are you currently on? Hmm. Let's see. If we're towards the, depending on, is this going to drop on like a regular normal day? I don't know. It, it could be at any time right now. <laughs> oh well, okay. Uh, since it's, okay, it'll be it'll be um, May eighteenth. It'll be my birthday. Ooh, hey. What will you ooh, What will you okay. be doing well, on my birthday? On your birthday, okay. So that's actually the day that we'll be heading back home, um, but not till later on in the day. So I have. Um, so we'll probably be running around Disney Springs, doing some last minute shopping and snacking and what have you, and then um, heading on back to the airport. But we'll have come off of uh, the night before. We'll have done the brand new. Uh, Are you going to night Avatar show? Land? at animal uh no, no. The, the avatar land doesn't open until the 27th i was actually looking around today to see if they were going to have um any kind of preview possible and it turns out that while we're there they'll still be doing some lingering pass holder stuff so i mean i'll ask around but we'll see but they do have the new nighttime show at animal kingdom and we will be seeing that so when you say we, is it just you? Are you actually going by yourself, or are you taking no, the family? Is no, it a no. fam- a Swiss family trip? This is actually the last grandkid trip. So I I go. My dad likes to take all the grandkids after they've turned five to go to Disney World so they can have their little Disney World experience. And since he refuses to take any of the grandkids by himself, I go with him. Oh. The, the the shame oh it's so hard i know gosh free trips to disney um but it's my cross to bear uh, <laughs> um so yeah so it's going to be me so my dad myself and then my youngest daughter so we will be doing that and then of course we we're going to go again we were actually going to go again in december this year one big huge family trip but since toy story land and uh star wars land don't open uh, um until 2019 we're going to go ahead and wait the extra year and a half and really do it upright and spend a whole week out there as soon as they open up so that's what's going on so we'll have been you'll you'll be you know doing the big five in utah i'll be doing You'll the be doing your four. own Big Five, right? Well, Big Four. There's four parks there. Well, so. no, no, but your 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 kid's turning five, or already did. turned five. Yes, did 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 turn five. Had the birthday party. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. So. Well, welcome to the best of episode. You're still listening to the best of episode of the SLS cast. Yay! Donate now. You too can own <laughs> this episode of the SLS cast. <laughs> Uh, seen only here yeah. on your local PBS station. That's right. So, at any rate, so now that you know what we're doing and why we're doing it, if um, you cared well, or not, I mean, that's right. So we we uh, normally at this time we would go and look into the old mail sack, but we can't do that because we're not here to do that. So um, we'd like to know what you would think um, so far, or at, once you're done, what you think of stuff that you may or may not have heard yet. So. Let us know. Send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can, of course, always follow us on Twitter by following at the SLScast. And I think at this point, we would normally do news, right? That is correct. But this is some extra special news that we will be playing for these folks. 
Yes, this is this this is it. Look, look, we got another best of segment right here. So, um, are we gonna lead them into this? You know, tell tell we're gonna tell them about it, right? Like they do on the Tonight Show. Yeah, we we should. I, I think so. Lead them into the clip. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, let's see. So this is um, in this particular uh, bit of news, we're, we we really get into the NC seventeen stuff. We talk a lot about Fifty Shades of Grey, um, but even as a bonus to our news, we even have a little fan favorite and some uh, podcasting Potter and family love from Johnny White Trash to lead us in, don't we? We do indeed. Okay, so well, I guess. Oh, and you're also going to hear about. You're going to hear our third host we used to believe it or not there was a vision for this show <laughs> you probably wouldn't think that now but there really was a vision for this show and it was and and the vision for the show was to originally have three hosts and um one of the original picks for the third host was someone that i used to do with the wow factor show and then he fell out and then it was just tim and i and then the original series happened We'll just we'll just say that that that's what it was. They happened, and then we took a year hiatus and came back, and we restructured everything, and then finally we had our third host, and that was Mikey. Um, and, and life happens and moves on, and after about thirteen episodes or so, coincidentally, the first series went like thirteen episodes. <laughs> So then, when we come back about thirteen episodes in, Mike uh, Mike steps steps away to go do his own thing, and it's just been Tim and I ever since. So um, yeah, so you're gonna hear a little bit about that, and then I guess shall we do some news? Let's do it. Bring it home, Johnny. Oh wait. Oh shit. Did I screw it up? I thought we were gonna do like the actual news intro thing. So is <laughs> is Johnny gonna do the intro, or we're not doing our? Oh yeah, no, no. It was gonna be Johnny and then the intro, and, and then oh. and then the the already pre-recorded intro that you. Oh, got, oh, okay, all right. Well, then take it away. Yeah, what what Tim said. Hi, folks. I'm Johnny White Trash, and I'm so excited. I'm very excited because I don't even know why I'm excited. I don't know why I started with that. I was I was gonna start with something clever like, "Hi, folks. I'm Johnny White Trash," and when I'm not playing Doom or vaping. I listen to the SLS cast, my favorite movie podcast of them all. And I'm not saying that just for fun. It really is my favorite movie podcast of them all because Matt and Tim are awesome. But don't tell them I said that. It'll go straight to their heads, you know, especially with the email I have to send them about, you know, Fast and Furious 8 or Fate of the... What? Anyway, anyway. One of the things I really enjoy about this podcast is the news. And the reason being is because, I mean, there's a shit ton of movie news. Y'all know that. But, but they deal, I think, with what is the important movie news. Like, you remember that time? You remember that time that they were talking about Fifty Shades of Grey before Fifty Shades of Grey was a movie? I'm got, you know, I, I love the story behind Fifty Shades of Grey. Not the... Not the actual movie or the book. No, fuck that. What I enjoy is how it it literally is Twilight fan fiction that got, you know, flagged for being offensive on the Twilight fan fiction site. So the lady, like, literally pulled it down off that site. You know, control F, replace with, you know, fix the names, right? And then, and then outsold Twilight. 
Like, I don't even care. That's awesome. Plus, best line of the movie, I don't make love. I fuck hard. Don't know why I'm talking about all that. But hey, hey, I don't know. Matt, Tim, keep it up. Love you guys. I'm out. The News. Did you ever see the the movie Kama Sutra with uh, Indiri, uh, Invidra Indiri or whatever her name is? No, I think I saw the HBO or Showtime TV show. I saw the soft NC-17 version. Um, Just for myself. That movie totally hooked me on foreign films, man. I'm not going to lie. Before that, I was like, foreign films? What? Oh, come on. You know, there's a reason why, you know, America, you know, and all this kind of stuff, right? And then my ex-wife, this is the one thing that I will always credit my ex-wife for, aside from our son, um, is that movie. She made me sit down. Like She's like, honey, you just got to see it. I'm like, Haley, I don't, I don't want to watch. She's like, please. I'm like, no, it's all. She's like, there's boobs. I'm like, I'm there. <laughs> so I mean to tell you, this is some of the most badass, sexy shit I'd ever seen. And uh, only beaten narrowly by uh, Sex and Lucia. Uh, which is just another phenomenal foreign film with tons and tons of NC-17 glory all over it. Um, And that is what made me fall in love with Paz Vega. So, yeah, (laughs) Spanglish all the way. (laughs) That, that, That is a nice transition into a news piece that I have. Oh, yes, let's go. Let's do it. News, baby. Yeah. Whoa. Hey, can you say that a little bit slower and maybe News, baby. slightly sexier while you're rubbing your? Whoa. Whoa. Oh, hang on. <laughs> I'm sorry. sitting across from you this you time, are. Tim. I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. Some, I'm sorry. Some, I forgot. Some John Lawah. What? Touch you know, my genitals. I, I'm sorry. Oh, the the coral in this room is throwing me <laughs> off a little bit. Um. Anyway, speaking of Nancy 17 movies, a couple years ago, uh, actually last year in the movie Academy Awards run. Shame. I don't know if you guys saw Shame or actually heard of Shame with Michael Fassbender. Yes, it's, we wanted to see that. That was one of those. That was one of those. On my list, yeah. We did not get to see it together, but you got to see it. So. Yeah, I, I saw it and I loved it. Uh, it's a great movie. NC seventeen. There's a lot of penises, a lot of vaginas, and a lot of. <laughs> Never boobs. lead with penises. Always lead with vaginas. Oh, you know or what? Boobies. Or hey, boobies. Okay, Freud. Just saying, Freud. Um, hey, anyway, keep um, young. That's a young thing. <laughs> it's a young uh, thing. A young, young, pretty young thing. But uh, Fifty Shades of Grey is coming out. Young and the Restless. You know, they're, they're starting, you know, making a movie of these books. Because there's a lot of sad white women out there that just really need this, apparently. Uh, it's obviously going to be in C-17. I'm going to start this, uh, start this uh, little rant or discussion off with uh, what the screenwriter, Kelly Marcel, I think that's how you say her name, what she said about it. Now, this is a quote from the Telegraph. Uh, I guess it's a magazine. Or, no, it's a newspaper in the UK mm. about her adaptation or her adaption. Excuse me. And no, she I think promises. It's adaptation. Is it adaptation? Okay. Yeah. Well, she promises a lot of sex. <laughs> is that what those books are? A lot of sex. <laughs> Is she gonna is she, in in the other worlds of the obvious? Is she gonna have Fabio do the fucking poster? <laughs> Probably, there's gonna be a lot of butter. Nice. And a, 
That was awesome reference. Continue on the quote. The fans love this book, and I want them to love this film as much. I want to make them laugh and cry to turn them on. I want this to do everything. Now, other wide-released NC-17 movies that have come out, these are, uh, the ones I'm about to mention are, were indie flicks. One was Ang Lee's Lust Caution, which did poor in the U.S., but did really well in Asia. Another one was Shame that came out uh, in 2011. Another one was Blue Valentine. Uh, I think that was, I don't know, Ryan, Blue, Blue Valentine? Yeah. Sorry, NC-17? Yeah, it was NC-17. They might have given it, it was originally NC-17. Okay, they bumped it down to an R because, right. uh, yeah. I don't think that was question, the one, wait, that, the Blue Valentine, that was the Ryan Gosling one, wasn't it? Yeah. Ryan Gosling, yeah. Yeah, they fought to get that back to an R. Yeah, and like, and, and again, you know, both of these are movies that, yes, they have nudity and sex in them, but it's character and story development. Now, this is what is different between those movies and a story and a book and probably what the movie is going to be of Fifty Shades of Grey. And again, the movie's not even made yet. I shouldn't pass judge it, but by God, I will. That this, this is not going to be an indie movie. I mean, there, this has millions of fans. It's impossible. I mean, if it comes out, it's going to, make a, it's going to be a huge success. I have one so, word for you, Tim. Yes. Showgirls. True. But you think it'll this, be another one of those? Uh, yes, it, it's got to be. It's got to be <laughs> awesome. It's got to be another Showgirls. But the thing with, with this is that um, it it's it's a movie just all about sex, nudity, S and M domination, yeah. all that stuff, which is whatever, whatever. I know Mike likes get spanked, Matt. I know. Wait, why do I, I know, have to get drawn I know into you this? Like things. So I mean, I mean, we we all have our little our little little kicks in life. But what gets me with this movie is that it's not a movie with a with an engrossing story. It's not a character movie like in Shame, where Michael Fassbender's character is facing, you know, trying to get rid of his his sex addiction. So it's a really kind of emotional storyline with them, and it's all built around that and peppered around it. And involved with it, of course, is the sex and the nudity and all that stuff. Now, since this movie will probably bring in more of an audience and make millions upon millions of dollars, more so than Blue Valentine and Shame and Less Caution, which were all very fine films. I I want, will this not possibly give NC seventeen that rating a a bad name, a worse name to whereas it could be used as an art like the art films like Shame, which was released as NC seventeen. Well, it's 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 okay. So we just go back to the Showgirls thing. That's exactly what happened with Showgirls. It was done intentionally to be flash in the pan. Um, it was done to basically try and get teenagers and millions of people into the theaters just to see something that they hadn't seen before for shock value. And the problem with Showgirls was it was terrible. Um, And and it legitimately was. And it flopped because not even the appeal of NC-17 was enough to get it over the hump of people wanting (laughs) hump. Uh, to see this movie, they didn't want to stick with it uh, to to see to see what would happen because the movie was just that bad. It wasn't worth the price of admission to see NC seventeen when people even then were like, "Man, I could just go down to the porn store and go get this," you know, for right. four bucks. Here, though, the reason why it's millions and millions of people is because, yes, it boils down to being sex and S&M, but because of the way it's written, 
people think it's classy. It's not, but people think it's classy. And so they think that that level of class, I guess, uh, that mystiques, I think that what they think it's going to be is like another nine and a half weeks. Yeah. Where it was boobs, it was sex, but there was still that mysterious air about it and blah, blah, blah. And while it is a pretty just okay movie in terms of story, it did well enough in the theaters because it was hot, steamy sex. Um, I think that's what they're going for here. But I, like you, I think it's just going to be another show, girls. And it's just going to, I think at that point, it's just going to bury NC-17 forever. Right, yeah, exactly. And like, because, uh, 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 like in the 80s with Flashdance, is that, there were still like X-rated theaters, and there there are more so now. Whereas now, it's everything's kind of a little more conservative with what things are rated. The MPAA there's not like a lot it, of independent theaters to show things. Exactly, seventeen. Exactly, right. and and so uh, like with Shame and Blue Valentine, Less Caution, a lot of theaters, it's like, well, we normally don't show NC seventeen movies, but because you know you're a movie with a good story, and you're you're obviously telling a story here, and mm. it's just not sex at the forefront. You know, yeah, we'll show your movie, and it draws you know an audience that are you know whatever. But with this, it's like, uh, you know, it's it just feels like it's just going to ruin the whole idea of well, it's kind of a privilege to be an NC seventeen movie being shown, getting a wide release because of you know what it's made up of, you know. And but I I will say this, I will say this, this is kind of one of those things where I am slightly torn, okay, because. From an adult perspective, I think NC-17 should be okay. I think that you should, if you want to make an NC-17 story, um, then by God make it, as long as you're really going to try and make something like Shame, you know, uh, like Blue Valentine and what have you, where you really are trying to put a story of two people, and yes, there's sex involved because sex really happens. Um, And at the same time... I don't want NC-17 everywhere because if you let it, it's, I, I look at NC-17 like a Pandora's box. If you let it out, then that's what's going to happen. It is going to be everywhere and it is going to be everything. And there's not going to be a way for people to truly discern between what's worth watching because of it, because of its subject matter and what's, what's being flashed in the pan yeah. for the sake of its subject matter. It's kind and, of like a 3D thing. Like, oh, exactly, it's, it's a 3D. Yeah. Like the 3D. 3D. yeah. And, and, but the problem here is, for me, if it was just adults, honestly, I'd err on the side of, screw it, let it out. But the problem is, you know just as well as I know, just as well as Mike knows, we all snuck into R-rated movies when we were kids. And, quite frankly, I just... Don't want to. I'm. I'm sorry. On this particular area, that's where I would run the risk of erring on the side of caution because, you know what? I just don't think kids need to be sneaking into NC-17. It's going to yeah. happen no matter what. I understand that, um, but I really think that there is a way to keep it reserved for people who are willing to take the risk and willing to tell the story, and willing to let the work stand on its own and have the limited release. Uh, and enjoy it that way, then risk 
losing it all in some chaotic display of, oh, it's NC-17, and we should just throw it in a theater. And and that and that's kind of where I'm at on it. As a side note, don't you kind of think that rated R movies from like the 80s and 90s were better than how they are now? Indeed. And the reason yeah. and it was, and it was, it's really Steven Spielberg's fault. How so? Steven Spielberg is the reason why we have the PG-13 syndrome. He felt that there, because at the time, there was PG and there was R. Okay? Right. There was nothing in between to say, look, it doesn't really deserve to be R, but I can understand why you wouldn't want a six-year-old to go with mommy and daddy to see this movie either. Okay. Um, I want to say, was it Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think? Was like yep. one of the first movies, and it was because of that debate that it was one of the first, if not the first movies, to be PG-13 because they're like, you know what? Fine, we'll meet you halfway, PG-13. And at the beginning, it was used judiciously. It was done in a way so that you truly had a good reason to have a hard R, like Rambo 3, and you had a good reason to have PG-13, like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. You had a good reason to have PG, like Babe. Okay, You had your breakdown, and you had something that made sense for everybody to go and see and understand and be able to work. So this is why I say I blame Spielberg, because he pushed so hard for it that he got it. And then people started looking at the numbers. And they said, you realize that if you take PG-13, more people can see it. And now they're like, oh my god, you're right. So now they push the envelope so hard that all the crap is pushed to R just so that the mainstream can be PG-13. So you lose out on a lot of good stuff that's PG-13 that really could be R and be better for the sake of having stupid crap slasher flicks just go hard R. Or just go R, rather, not hard R, but just go R for the sake of it being R. And now we have everything in the world is PG-13. And it sucks because, I'm sorry, it just does. There's no, it's all homogenized now. Do you remember, do you know why? I mean, I know why, but I'm going to ask you, do you know why the MPAA was going to make Raiders of the Lost Ark rated R? The heart scene. No, 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 no. That was Temple of Doom. The, what, what, what they were going to make rated R in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, Raiders of the, I'm sorry, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, uh, was the... The, the was scene the, where, the, the scene where he, um, at the end, when they melt everybody, when, when everybody melts. Right, and the reason why they got a PG-13 opposed to the rated R, and why, because even, even with the PG-13 thing kind of established, they were going to give him still an R, which is why whenever that guy's head explodes, there's a thing of fire going in front of him. Oh, yeah. So you don't really see everything. So that's why it kind of continued on to stay PG-13, even whenever it was going to go on for the R. Because the MPAA, the new, uh, there was a new kind of like law that was kind of passed, a new kind of section of it. That went to the went to an effect in the early '80s that they were still kind of working out. But essentially, yeah, it was because of Spielberg and out of all movies, Indiana Jones that kind of puts a rating. So, yeah, so I, I blame. So I blame Spielberg. And there's your history for the day. <laughs> <laughs> Just to wrap up this whole NC-17, or at least for Fifty Shades of Grey, I think doing a movie is the worst thing they could do. 
They should just do it as an HBO or Showtime miniseries, not like miniseries, and just have each chapter be an episode. Again, that way they can show whatever the hell they want yeah. and do whatever they want, and they can put it on at 11 o'clock on HBO, and it would probably be a better... I mean, I haven't read the books. I don't care, too. I don't care what the movie is. It's probably going to be a better, enjoyable watch than it is if it is in the movies. They'll be able to get more out of it and expand upon it, and then they don't have to get they don't have to worry about getting big name actors and having actors be weirded out about oh, playing an NC seventeen movie. For this one, for this one, uh, I blame uh, the Twilight author, whatever the fuck. Her well, name yeah, is. yeah, because this is that Stephanie Meyer. Stephanie yeah. Meyer, thank you. Um, I blame her because once they saw the success of Twilight, they realized they were onto something there. Well, that's and what the book came from. Already, it's Twilight fan fiction. No, no, I understand. Really? I, no, no, don't get me wrong. I'm just, what I'm saying is, is once again, they just looked at the numbers. Now, I'm sure that they considered doing the miniseries, and I know that based on the numbers of the book, it's much easier to get this to get the asses in the seats one time, which will then yeah. translate into DVD and Blu-ray sales, which will then translate to going on HBO anyway. Very true. And they'll watch it then. Yeah, it's kind of like what they were going to do with the dark, the Dark Tower. Series oh, yeah. with Ron Howard. They were going to do three movies, but to bridge the three movies, they were going to um, have like a, a TV show, like a series go on. Like a filler. Yeah, kind of like a filler to kind of like talk about it's the like stuff. It's like the, that... the uh, Clone Wars animated series. Yeah. 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 And, and see, and that's the thing is that there is so much potential for that kind of stuff. Um, you know, the, and, and, they're, and interestingly, they're also doing that with TV and video games now. So. Um, I would love to see that happen with Dark Tower. I think that would be an amazing way to showcase just exactly how the media and the mediums are changing and can truly interact with one another. So it's not just got to be the way people have always seen it. So, yeah. So that was good. That was, that, that was badass, dude. Way to, bring, way to bring it home with Fifty Shades of Matt, Tim, and Mike. <laughs> Seth Lockheed, he was the writer of Hannah. Uh, he has good movie, been, good movie. It is, yes, it is an interesting flick. I was uh, Mikey is just like kind of beating himself out because he's like, oh god, I've had it on my had it on my queue for a while. Okay, <laughs> really, really quick, short Hannah story. Never seen the movie, but I won a contest through Suicide Girls, and I got a bunch of Hannah merch, like earbuds and headphones and stickers and stuff like that. Still never seen the movie. Really? Why, yeah. Why? Well, be prepared. You're going to get this damn song stuck in your head. Okay. Why, why, are you, why are you running contests on Suicide Girls? Uh, it was through Tumblr, through the Suicide Girls Tumblr. Uh, wrong with Suicide Girls. Nothing wrong with Nothing's them. wrong with Suicide Girls. I think they're hot, you know, but I just would think it's kind of... Um, feminine to win their products i guess i okay it was <laughs> all time it was, time, an it, was like a, stage. it was a social media thing <laughs> and they just had a contest to just like if all you had to do was like reblog a post Dude, for you're the, the movie fucking secret owner of suicide girl shut up don't just yes that'd be why would i complain about that and why would i be living in such a tiny apartment if i was <laughs> i don't know you have more coral. you are a suicide girl you're a suicide girl you're a suicide girl isn't that coral? That or that's teal. Teal, yeah. Teal. And that's teal, and that's mustard Sorry. yellow. Well, you know, Chelsea has you have to edit teal. this. You're gonna hear all my little side comments. And I'm like, did he just say I have a suicide beard? What? Oh, suicide <laughs> beard. <laughs> my this beard is for zero dark thirty. Thank you. So when I go to the theater, I'm not allowed to actually watch it. 
Nice. Uh, wow. Michigan. Yeah. Maybe. Just, maybe well, no. When you go in there, when you when, when you go there with your beard, you walk up and you say, "Allah told me to buy a ticket." Oh God. <laughs> Is that politically incorrect? I'm uh, sorry. Wrong Indian. Oh, oh Indian. Not, that's Indian. Yeah, not wrong Indian. But hey, <laughs> that's wrong Indian. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking feathers, yo. I'm American. Awesome. And okay. Cut so here. Okay. Yeah, very good. Well, before I continue with some of mine, do you want to talk, Mike? About, oh, uh, uh, yeah. This week is CES and in Las Vegas, the Consumer Electronics Show. And that has a lot to do it in as far as um, home movie viewing. And so if last year, if 2012 was the year of everyone getting 4G on their phones, then 2013 will be the year of everyone getting 4K fever because that's all the TVs are. Are 4K OLED, so that means they will. So 4K is 4,000 resolution, as opposed to TVs now are 1080p. So that's 1,080. So it's four times as much definition, resolution, beautiful imagery. Like it's it basically, if you went and saw The Hobbit in 48 frames in 3D, it's going to look as good as that in your home. Oh wow! Yeah, like it's very the pic the pictures are amazing. That come out from these TV screens, like richer blacks, contrast ratios, colors, and stuff like that. Then, with the other technology that's OLED, is they are about as thick as a pencil, you know, maybe half inch thick at the most, and they come and they're huge and still inexpensive. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bridge of the Enterprise. You know that stupid <laughs> screen that they're always talking to people on on the bridge. It's that. that. That's what they're talking about right now. It's yeah. I mean, the biggest one that's well, has been announced is a 105 inch uh, 4K TV. But it yeah, I'm having it installed next oh, week. Oh, good. So you have three hundred thousand dollars just sitting around, dude. I live in Russia town. You know, of course I do. You're doing a lot of uh, people trading, like sex slaves and stuff. I like that? I do a lot of kegels. Oh, what? whoa, whoa, kegels? Yeah, yeah, kegels and luge down. Sunset. You, you know what kegels are, right? Actually, no. Okay, kegels no, are no. vaginal exercise that help oh, tighten yeah. vaginal muscles. Then yes, um, I but, do. Hey, I hate kegels. to break it to you. Hate to break it to you. Guys have a version of that. Oh yes, you yes, can do. You can do butt kegels. Well, it's not even butt kegels. Um, is that called? Is it called something else? Like tightening the. It's a kegel muscle, uh, similar to the kegel muscle. Where you, you ever come on now, guys? Let's 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 talk real guy talk here. It's Fifty Shades <laughs> of SLS. All right. <laughs> How Good many title. guys have sat around? Yeah, <laughs> Fifty Shades of SLS, awesome. Uh, how many guys have ever sat around in, in their entire life and flexed their penis? Come on now, you make it bounce a little bit when it's all hard and everything. That makes my girlfriend Wait, laugh. She loves when I do are that. Are you talking about the shit or the ball sack? Because if you, no, no, who the flexing their ball sack, dude? Yeah. If you can do, well, I don't I know. Said penis. I, I, don't I know. said penis. I don't know. Penis. I don't know. I didn't know if you had him uh, had a, in a, we should in, do the, know, the incredible Mr. Limpet sack of. <laughs> we should we should do the intro to the Lock and Load CD for Dennis Leary. <laughs> penis, penis, penis. Uh, no, you're literally yeah. Where you bouncing your dick? That is literally flexing. It's flexing part of oh, the prostate. It's like a cock chain. push up kind yeah, of. Yeah, but you don't have to actually do a push tell up. Any of my family members? <laughs> <laughs> Skip all news. <laughs> cock push up. 
from Tenacious D. Well, whenever I think of Cockpush, I think of Foghorn Langhorn and like a tune. That's what I think nice. of. A, that's what my mind is going. Well, well, all of a sudden I'm pretty aroused right now. Well, you know, I I say, boy, I say. Well, next time I'm I'm sitting on the toilet, I will. I will make it happen. I will think of the two of you. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you what. Here's here's an easy way to do it for you, dude, okay? If you're not wanting to be all sexual about it. Have you ever peed and then made yourself and stop peeing? Yeah, I, know like exa- I know exactly okay. because I was kidding. I was playing dumb. I know what you're talking about. Don't play okay, dumb. Okay, good. Because so, that's about. the same thing. No, because here's the thing. It's the same thing. And it helps It helps retain like prostate strength and stuff like that. So when you like get older, uh, you're less likely to prostate problems. I can hold a wet towel up. For like thirty-five minutes, with your boner? Yeah. What the uh, hell are you thinking about to keep a boner for thirty-five minutes? Like, hey, you know what? <laughs> My love life is passionate and sexual. <laughs> I would hope um, so. I'm going to send it's, special it's, Facebook messages to your family. <laughs> that's why it's good to be to be a Mormon. <laughs> Wait, what? Where did the Mormon come from? I don't you know. Forget. I know your future brother-in-law, bro. Oh. They are all going to listen to the news. <laughs> you should have it. You should have this like playing loudly. They're at Papa John's. Hell yeah, dude. No, don't worry. Your secret's safe with me. Now that boner talk is done. Well, it's safe with you and safe with all of America. That's right. <laughs> I, know, I might get fans now. Who knows? <laughs> uh, dear 35-minute boner guy. It sounds like something from like the Larry Sanders show. <laughs> Boner. That's awesome. Yeah. No, not boner guy. 35 minute boner guy. Um, what the fuck are we talking about? Um, kegels. Oh, yeah. Kegels. So, at any rate, yeah, it's actually, you know, good for you. You should do the exercises just like chicks. I'm doing them right now. I am too. It's amazing. <laughs> Join us, Tim, won't you? Uh, Work hard for the money. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, you, did we say you could everything? make money if you had a video of you holding a thirty-five minute boner? <laughs> I'll just, I'll just, and, and like, would I? Like, would it be of that? Or would it be of my face, like posing? Would I? I would be like the Viagra. Two cameras. Guy? Two cameras. Close up, tight on the face, right. and then close up on uh, genitals. Now, this will only be shown on the 4K TV, right? Yes. yes. I want high yes. depth of this. All right. I will finance $300,000. I will find a way. Oh, it kind of disturbs me that you guys are wanting to see me lift up towns with my penis. I'm sorry. I think that just for scientific value, I would like to see anybody hold up a wet towel with their erect penis for 35, for 35 minutes. minutes. Then I, just, I, well, I pass out afterwards. Oh, okay. I pass out. Like, I just fall over dead for about a day. <laughs> Your dick just falls off like the dude who shot himself up with cocaine in his dick. Oh. Uh, yeah, well, that's sad. <laughs> moment of silence. Another moment of silence. Okay, hang on. Okay. I'm almost and out of beer. More news. This stuff is so good. Okay, um, now, let's... <laughs> we have so much stuff to go through. All right. <laughs> So, um, before I move on to Bieber, to, J- to Jay Bieber, to Dolphin Boy, he has dolphin teeth, that's why they call him Dolphin. Mike, I heard you sigh, that was fantastic. What a wonderful bit of news, Tim. I, I-, I-, I gotta know, I gotta know. Um, do you still have the, you know, the, the, the wet problem? towel? Yeah, do you still have the wet towel action going on? 
I do. Um, I'm now on to uh, two towels, two towels of various <laughs> length and, and color. Um, I can I can now I can now make uh, make air art. I, I, well, I like to I like to get the glow in the dark towels, um, and, and sometimes even the microfiber towels. So when I can turn on the light and you know it, it glows, but I can also with microfiber towels you can really get some good air with it, and you can do some See, cool like you know like like Circus du Soleil shit. See, I thought that at this point you were you were gonna actually uh, be able to uh, have your penis actually be able to control a drone, like you would actually be able to use the controls of a drone with just your penis. I'm working on that. I'm. I see. Not enough dexterity there. Yeah, I'm trying to get it to where I can get each each side of of the helmet to to really get a full grasp on each side of the controller panel. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it takes a lot of practice and a lot of I I see and a lot I, of balls. I, I, I guess or maybe I don't see. I don't know. But there is one quick little thing I'd like to mention. Uh, Tim and I were, as you noticed, we're definitely going into the heart of where PG thirteen came from and everything. And I found a businessinsider.com article from twenty fourteen. Um, it's called How Indiana Jones Finally Forced Hollywood to Create the PG thirteen Rating. Uh, it's by Frank uh, Palata. Oh, and this is referencing what we were talking about yes, five years ago in the news. We, yes, oh, okay. five years ago, exactly. So uh, it turns out that while we did have the heart of the matter correct, it was an Indiana Jones movie that kind of led things out, um, and and Spielberg was more or less responsible for it. It, it was actually uh, that Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was the PG movie that had everybody up in arms. It was the heart. It was removing of the heart thing. Um, and so... After Spielberg, uh, after Spielberg talked to everybody and got the thing going, it was Red Dawn that was the first PG-13 movie. So um, feel free to go to that businessinsider.com article. It's really cool. Check it out. And there you go. So at least we have that. Um, so, yeah. And then um, we would normally now lead into a bonus segment, would we not, usually at this point? Yeah, I mean, usually. I think we have a couple bonus segments this we go around. Do. We do. So, um, do we do we need to you know cue them up one at a time, or do do we just want to like let them know what's happening and then throw it right at them? Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I think we should uh, probably do a little bit of lead in into each one, uh, given how long these guys are. We we can't have our our favorite listener out there forgetting, you know, just forgetting. I guess I don't know, <laughs> like like I would, Damn, like dude. I just did during that <laughs> sentence. <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, what would you like to lead off with, sir? You, you know what? We've got two. So, lead us into our first one, sir. Okay. So, with the first two best of segments, you got a taste of our of our raunchy side of our of our type of humor, such as it is. It's such as it is. Yeah. I, I guess, if you could call it that, I, I guess. Um. So next up here, we're gonna do one of our classic segments. Of three squared. And no, this does not feature Mikey or one of the other handful of guests that we had that actually made this a proper three squared. Because three squared is... Nobody's Let's answering. Spoke. Nine. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. three squared. Yeah, three. So, okay, real quick. The idea behind three squared, again, because of three hosts, it was supposed to be three people based on whatever the subject was. You know, favorite producer, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And three people giving... Um, three answers, right? So it was three people giving their three picks, and you know that is three squared, which is nine. That was the genesis of it. It's only worked out a handful of times, but literally a handful. <laughs> with, 
but we stick to things. We do. Se- we, we we really stick to those segment segment titles. So um, that that's where that's from. And uh, so this three squared is worst movie accents. And you will hear the original music we would play in the background to cover up our recording issues. Uh, so do enjoy three squared from episode forty nine. Worst movie accents. Or even 79. Oh, did I say 39? You said 49. <laughs> 79. We've, we've gotten so much better 200 episodes later. <laughs> All right, then let's go ahead and jump into the next one real quick. It is the return of Three Squared. <laughs> Do you like how I did my three squared in a really weird way to go with our theme of worst movie accents ever? So which accent were you going for? Or is that the point? I was just trying to do something totally bad, like just a terrible accent that you couldn't even pick up and you wouldn't eat like, what the hell is he trying to do? (laughs) Because that's pretty much what you're asking yourself. And the sad part is, like for John Voight, Oh shit! I'm throwing. I'm. I'm sorry. I fucked up your pick. <laughs> you, no, you, you, yeah. For one of your picks, you're you're like all of these movies. You're supposed to know what their accent's supposed to be, but one of your picks, you just don't even have a clue of what accent he's even supposed to be trying to do. I don't. I know it's great. He sounds like he's Al Pacino and Scarface. <laughs> Al Pacino and Scarface trying to do Creole. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like a caricature of Scarface. Yeah. All right. Well, since I already screwed up one of yours, uh, go ahead, sir. Why don't you go ahead and do yours so you can do them properly? Okay. So worst movie accents. Now I'm not, I didn't, I wasn't going for accents that people were intentionally trying to be bad. For example, uh, a, a really famous one would be Mickey Rooney in uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's when he plays the Asian I think he was the Asian neighbor, just very... Japanese stu- landlord or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Whatever, just yeah. way pretty... You watch it now and it's pretty It's pretty bad. But that, I mean, that was that was on purpose. That was unfortunately very, very, very intentional. So I went with, I went with movies and they just so happened to all come from the 90s where they are serious performances for the most part done by very serious actors. And I'll start off with the not-so-serious actor, James Vanderbeek. Well, I guess he's a serious actor, but, I, I mean, he, he's known for, you know, he's the teen heartthrob, and, uh, I, I, I mean, of what I've seen him in, I'm sure he's a, he's a very fine actor. But in this movie, for those of you who don't know what Varsity Blues is, it came out in 1999. You know, this was kind of like the American pie of football movies, this was the movies that everybody wanted to see because there were, you know, there were there were, there were boobs in it for the most part. And I know it's very, it was a very immature guy thing in 1999 for really wanting to see this movie because of they go into a boob bar, you know, a titty bar or whatever. Well, his accent, because this is a football movie based in Texas, I, oddly enough, John Voight is actually in this movie as well. He plays the coach. James Van, Vanderbeek is the uh, is the star quarterback. And he has one of the most over-the-top, 
Southern Texas, Western, whatever accent. You know, it's like the stereotypical thing where it's kind of like, you don't know me. This is my life. I like football. I like it. I, I like football. You know, I like it. It's a lot of I and foot, you know. It's my, my, my life. It's my life. Ah. Ah. It's, it's really kind of annoying to watch. I mean, especially if you're from Texas. Even a small town in Texas where I don't think anybody... Yeah, I don't think anybody can switch their accent on and off quite like some of these people can. And this is why I chose... James Vanderbeek. Playing football at West Canaan may have been the opportunity of your lifetime, but I don't want your life. He looks the part. You know, he's a good-looking football player, high school football player. But, oh my God, is that accent ridiculous, especially during the very kind of dramatic, you know, when he's talking about how, you know, football is, football is his laugh. It is his laugh. His laugh. Next up for me is hang on, hang on, Tim. Tim, are you sure it was? Are you sure it was about his laugh? Was it his laugh? I, I think it was about his laugh. What, what, football was his laugh. Fo- football was <laughs> his laugh. Okay. And at just times checking, it was about just checking. Won't make sure. Won't make sure it wasn't about his laugh. You know what I mean? That it was his laugh. Yeah. And sometimes it's about his <laughs> laugh. <laughs> Okay, sorry to interrupt. Carry on. His laugh? No, laugh, laugh. Next up is one of the best impersonations of, or impressions of, of of in in a dramatic movie. It's funny that, okay, so, well, okay. Tom Cruise in Far and Away, he plays an Irishman, and he does one of the best impersonations of Marty McFly's great grandmother, grandfather from... From the third Back to the Future, you know, the the Irish McFly. I forget his name. But he's the Irishman. And, you know, he... Oh, Mr. McFly, you know, just just very happy and top of the morning. And, you know, just very stereotypical Irish. And, unfortunately, Michael J. Fox made it more... Made the character more convincing and more, more... I actually felt more for Michael J. Fox's character playing his great-grandfather alongside of Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future Part 3 than I did in Tom Cruise's portrayal of an Irishman in Far and Away from 1992. Not saying that Far and Away is a bad movie. It's still a pretty decent movie. But him and Nicole Kidman's accents get pretty... I mean, I don't know if it's because it doesn't... At the time, people really didn't think about it. It may be now that culture is more... I mean, life is more of a, of a, of a cultural melting pot all around. And the inter- interwebs and, you know, people are more open to things and whatever. That we're just now noticing things like this more? I don't know. But it is ridiculous. And it is... I mean, you, you every sentence... You think it's going to end with something about Lucky Charms or finding gold at the end of a rainbow. It is that leprechaun That He was more leprechaun than the leprechaun. He was as short as a leprechaun. Which might throw people, uh, you know, in for a loop. I don't know. Tell me, tell me you like my hat. You're not wearing a hat. 
Say it. Say you like my hat. You're not wearing a hat. Say it. Why can't you say it, Shannon? Why can't you say you like my hat? Why can't you say you like my suit? I've earned this. I've... I've done well. My third movie, probably one of my, probably my favorite of the list, for sure, is uh, John Voight... In the 1997 film Anaconda. And what is even funnier is that I remember going into the movie with my grandfather in 1997 to see Anaconda. And before it started, I got scared and decided to go see Volcano instead. And I was scared of Volcano and I decided to go back and watch Anaconda. And I, you know, I don't know whether now to be more frightened of the CGI snake, which at the time looked very convincing, or be more frightened of... John Voight's accent, because of what Matt said earlier, you have no idea what he's... He sounds like a... He's trying to impersonate Al Pacino's Scarface. That, and he has like a... Or he has like a... Like he's chew, he has a bunch of mashed potatoes in his mouth that he's trying to talk while he has... He's masticating on, on some... On some mashed potatoes. I, I don't know. He, there's just something in those cheeks, in those John Voight cheeks... That is preventing him from really enunciating and coming up with a a, a cohesive uh, dialect to speak in. I, I don't know. Is he is he South African or South American? Uh, is he Greek? Is he Polish? He looks like John Voight. He kind of sounds like John Voight, but I don't think he's trying to be John Voight. You be the judge. I don't know. I I'm at a I'm at a loss. So my three worst movie accents. So far, are James Vanderbeek in Varsity Blues, Tom Cruise in Far and Away, and then finally John Voight in Anaconda. Right on, right on. Okay, well, I've got three as well, and I'm going to start off. I with hope you have what three. Is... Yeah, no, as well. Kind of, yeah, makes sense. Defeat the purpose of this thing. <laughs> um, all right, we got uh, three of them. And and this is probably one of the most iconic. It would be Dick Van Dyke's character from Mary Poppins. And this is a guy who was rumored to be drunk most of the time when he was on set for this movie. And yet uh, still turned... I loved it when I was a kid. But I never realized, you know, how you doing, Govna? Was not how British people talked. It was more about how uh, Julie Andrews spoke than Dick Van Dyke. But, you know, I still... you know, Chim chimney, chim chimney, chim chim cherry. A sweep is as lucky as lucky can be. Do you think that's how it's supposed to go? Turns out, no. British people don't talk like that. And I thought British women talked like Julie Andrews and British guys talked like Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> but, <laughs> but what it was, what was, I was just a kid. I didn't know any better. Uh, so, yes. What if that, James Bond spoke like Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins? <laughs> Bond, James Bond it is. I've got a license to kill. Oh come now, governor! In all do, in all fairness, though, that Dick Van Dyke was pushed into the accent. Like in the book that I, I read, uh, his uh, autobiography or memoirs or whatever, he uh, he did he even at the time he when he was asked to do Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, 
he was asked to do an accent. And in his contract, he put in there that he would not do another English accent, or any accent for that matter. So. Well, that's good. Yeah. For whatever it's worth. <sighs> At any rate, yeah. So uh, we don't need to go into any detail on that. Everybody's seen Mary Poppins. But I just, that really and truly is one of the worst. Next up for me, though, is... Now, the next two are arguably, for me, a tie. I just truly can't decide the the worst offense here. So, But I have to pick them in an order, so we're just going to go here. From uh, 2013's Nymphomaniac, we have the role of Jerome, played by Shia LaBeouf. And this is a character who is a little bit like John Voight. I'm not quite sure what accent he's trying to have, but it doesn't matter because based on the length of the line or paragraph, depending on how long he has to speak, you will either get accent, no accent, or drift in and out. It, it It's just, it's painful. If it wasn't so funny, you would literally be... It, would just cry don't worry you have plenty of sex in this movie to get you get you by but i mean yeah this terrible holy crap terrible you you literally start to wonder when you see performances like this just exactly how calculated it was that he was going around saying i'm not famous anymore i think he was just trying to head it off kind of like when you know you've screwed up or you're wearing the wrong outfit or you've got a terrible car and before anybody can make fun of you about how shitty your car is or how terrible your outfit is or how much you don't fit in you're the first person to bring it up aha look at my stupid car aha i'm so awkward i think that's what he was trying to do with that whole i'm not famous stint because this is just some shitty acting. So, wow. All right, and then we're going to go ahead and follow it up. Well, I'm sure he, up. he took the role for obvious reasons. <laughs> Wait, I get to have a whole bunch of sex? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I sign? But you have to do an accent. Where do I sign, damn it? What if right. his internal monologue was your voice? That would be very funny. Like, my actual voice? Yeah, that, that was like his internal monologue for everything. <laughs> I, all I want to know is I want a hashtag fucking paycheck. That's what I would... If, that was, if that, that's so funny, that's what I want. I want to get some of his money. Uh, but last but not least, from 2001, the epic war film Captain Corelli's Mandolin, starring Nicolas Cage and Penelope Cruz. This movie is a uh, just there's there's really not too many good accents to be had here but i swear to god this nicholas cage it's like he took acting lessons from that dude in the 70s alka-seltzer commercial that's a one a spasa meet the ball that yeah because that's about how good he sounds. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You listen to him, and it, he's like, I like to play the mandolin. It's, it's a very fun. <laughs> Look over to the lady. I mean, this is what he sounds like. And it's the whole movie. And this is like an epic movie. It's supposed. It's over two hours long. And it's just two hours of him uh, being... Uh, but in the, And it's... Because... He's so happy. The character he plays is so happy all the time. You know, but yeah. 
So does he ever play the mandolin in the movie? I've, I've never does. seen it, he, so I've, I've always wondered. He does play the mandolin. Oh, Christian Bale is in this movie too, by the way. Like I said, bad accents all around because I'm pretty sure Penelope Cruz. I want isn't she from like Spain? Oh yes, I believe. Oh yes, yeah, she is. Yeah, she's from, she's all from Spain, her. and she's playing she's playing a Greek girl. So yeah, so she's yeah she's playing some she's playing a Greek chick where Nicolas Cage is playing an Italian chick or Italian dude. Whoa, it, whoa, yeah, dynamic. He might have been better as an Italian chick. I don't know. Um, he was, he's trying to, yeah. So, like I said, it's just <laughs> I wish I could I could make fun of like actually try and do the accent from Nymphomaniac as much as I was able to do the accents from Mary Poppins and Captain Carly's mandolin. But Shia LaBeouf's accent is so weird I can't do it right. So there, I can't even do it justice to make fun of it. Um, but apparently I can be his internal monologue, according to Tim. And that'll just have to do. So those are my picks. There you go. From uh, 1964, Mary Poppins with Dick Van Dyke. Uh, and then 2013's Nymphomaniac for Shia LaBeouf. And 2001, Captain Corelli's Mandolin for Nicolas Cage. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is my three squared. So, okay. So, um... Do you think? Okay, so here we go. We've we, we we've gotten all these wonderful picks, and I know that um, fucking Captain Corelli's mandolin definitely tastes cake. You had Anaconda, obviously John Voight, amongst others. Do you still stand by those picks? Would you know? Or are we going to have to revisit this? Or is that pretty definitive in your opinion? I think all of our three squares are pretty much up in the air because I think after a while we 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 figured out that. It became more difficult to pick new three squares that we went, that we changed the lingo up a bit. Not like it's not our absolute favorite anymore. It's just like some of our favorites, ones that we really exactly. like, <laughs> those that exactly. we enjoy. But you know, when when you're talking about football, it's really hard to talk about what you like, and you know, you you really gotta get on that varsity team. And it's my life. It's my life. Uh. My life. My life. Ah, it's still good, even all these years later. Uh, well, all right. Well, then our next piece, um, or our next bonus segment, is actually uh, a masterpiece discussion. And and again, now when we initially kind of conceived masterpiece discussion, I I had talked to Tim about it, and I was like, um, I really wanted to do kind of the, um, I wanted to have it serious, but also clearly with our humor style, keep our tongues at least somewhat planted in our cheek uh, in terms of the presentation style and so I really wanted to do kind of the masterpiece theater thing like think think back in the 80s uh, late 70s early 80s with George Plimpton right and that kind of style that kind of you know music and everything and so instead of calling it masterpiece theater we called it masterpiece discussion, and so it's it since evolved into something where we really do have some cool discussions and stuff. But you know, the idea of the announcer guy and all that kind of stuff, which Tim was very was was really responsible for, kind of creating the pitch adjustments and stuff that gave us weird announcer guys. So um, it's a lot of fun. This uh, particular segment 
is back from episode 126, and it is from an ain'titcool.com article uh, that's called Why Dark Endings Matter or How the Mist Got It Right. So um, it's a great article. It still is good even today. Check it out if you can. Um, I don't know. Is there anything you want to add to that there, Tim, or should we just take it away? I think we should just take it away. Discussions with Matt and Tim. This time on Discussions with Matt and Tim, we will be discussing the blog post by user Quint at AintItCool.com. Why Dark Endings Matter or How the Mist Got It Right. And now, Discussions with Matt and Tim. Alright, so yes. We are going to be discussing the mist. Uh, so there are going to be a myriad of spoilers. And honestly, not just for the mist. I was perusing this article just a, uh, just a moment ago while Tim was recapping his piece there, um, about the iPhone. And there are almost 10 movies in here. And that was just what I got through the scan again. Um, that are going to be spoiled. So please, if you are not a super huge fan, or if you, if you're someone who forgets things really easy, then you're good. But primarily, if you have not seen The Mist and you want to, you should stay away from this. You'll need to jump ahead. Yeah. Because this is, that is definitely a movie where the ending kind of defines the whole movie itself yes and again there are and because this movie is about why dark endings matter there are going to be mentions of several other movies in here and i'm not going to tell you what they are right now because by saying that and then mentioning dark and you're just going to be waiting for the dark ending the whole time and that changes the context of the movie so know your movie history going into this hope you've seen a lot of pop cultural hits over the years that have had dark endings and please 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 if you haven't seen the mist Go see it, and then come on with the discussion. So, now that you've been properly warned, here we go. Um, Quint was referring, he's, he starts this article, uh, his blog post, referring to an article about, um, you know, these clickbait articles, nine bad endings that totally ruin the movie, you know, all that kind of stuff. And... He went ahead and clicked on it, um, and looked at it, and most and and was relating how most of these blog posts and these articles that are like, oh, the worst endings ever, in ev- virtually every single one of these, the mist is always listed. Now, the ending to the mist, it, it now the mist is based on a Stephen King novella, basically, and it is about. An artist who is with his son, uh, when a mist rolls through town and these insectoid kind of bug-like creatures of varying sizes and nastiness invade this quiet little town. Um, due to the goings-on of the day, 
they are unable to get back home to get to mom and consequently end up in a supermarket. Now, everything that happens in the supermarket, you know, they're, they're there for weeks, you know, all sorts of psychological shit ends up happening. Um, you know, all these different kinds of camps get formed, if you will. And covens and clusters and cults and all sorts of shit um, end up occurring until you are until the uh, several of the characters in the film make a break for it. They decide that it's either now or never. It ultimately leads to the ending where Thomas Jane is. Uh, there's four people in the car and he's down to three bullets and there is no hope. And so you he mean takes... five people in the car? Was it five? Four... I thought there was just four. No, there's the yeah, older there's woman, him, his son, there's the, the older old, guy. The old, right. The old couple, him and his son. Who else was in the car? And the woman, the, 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 the lady. The lady did get out. Okay, I'm sorry. I forgot yeah. that the lady got out with him. All right. Because she's the one holding his son while he's uh, he's asleep. Oh, yes. Thank you very much. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, yes. Yeah, so, you got the five people in the vehicle. Again, you got the girl, um, Thomas Jane, the old couple, and then Thomas Jane's son. Now, um, Frank Darabont made this movie. And Frank Darabont was uh, also the man who brought us Shawshank Redemption. So, um, if nothing else, the man has chops. Okay, so uh, the film going all the way up for me is just absolutely outstanding. Now, he then goes ahead and makes the ultimate sacrifice. There's five people in the vehicle, only four bullets. So he kills everybody, including his son. And then, you know, he can't kill himself because, well, he's out of bullets. So he gets out of the car uh, and then all of a sudden <laughs> the military comes and saves the day. So now he has literally just killed everybody, including his son, and now he has to live with that. And if, you know, you're like, oh my god, if he'd have just fucking waited. Um, and so this guy goes on and he defends Dark Endings as a whole. He even, and he even goes into, um, discussing how the the dark endings in movies like The Mist or in Seven, in Old Boy, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Invasion, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, which we covered, uh, was it, it was year before last or was it last Halloween, Tim? Yeah, it was, uh, it was two Halloweens ago. Two Halloweens ago, we covered the entire Invasion of the Body Snatchers series. My personal favorite is the 70s one with Donald Sutherland. Um, is... The is that they are important because the good guys don't always win. Um, one of my personal favorite movies uh, where the bad guys win is Skeleton Key. It is this just, it's a Kate Hudson flick. Um, it's popcorn cheese thriller type of fun. But I just thought the ending was just really, really well done. And it was, um, and yet another film where the bad guys win. Um, and I mean, they don't just win. Oh dear God. You're just kind of like these poor fucking people. <laughs> so you've got, there, there's movies that are important for you to see because 
as a viewer, as, especially as a casual theater goer, and they meant, and he mentions this in his, in his post, you, you get used to the formulaic. And so you expect the formulaic. And then when the formula is broken, especially in such a jarring way, in a movie like Seven, or in a movie like The Mist, uh, especially, or I guess Old Boy, cause I mean, you know, and not the remake, but the Korean version, 2005 Korean version. Um, I mean, you're, you're definitely like, holy shit, man. But, so, and so I can respect where this guy's coming from on that. My problem is, is that I read the book. I read The Mist, the book. And my problem with The Mist, the ending, is not that Darabont had the balls to pull this ending off. Had I not read the book, I would have been like, holy shit, what a fucking ending. Oh my god, I would, I mean, it, it's shocking, it's scary, you're, you're left with just as many thought-provoking thoughts. Did he wait? Was there enough time? Did he have to do it then? Why now? Uh, you know, how, what's he gonna do? Is he gonna have to explain himself? You know, all of these things that are just thrust at you all at the same time. But, I read the book. And for me, and I don't care if Stephen King says that he likes Frank Darabont's endings better. I think that the ending of the book is what he should have gone with. Um, and the ending of the book is this sense of complete and utter despair of never ever knowing if they're going to escape or if you're going to escape or if, or, or, uh, if they're going to escape or if they're just going to be dead. Or if they die, or anything. Because what happens at the end of the book is he's been writing all of this stuff that has happened on hotel stationery. And he, pardon me, he leaves it there. And so you're reading it, you know, and, and so he leaves it as a, this is what happened to me. And if you find it, then I guess you'll, you'll know that you weren't alone. And it's so deep. It's so depressing. And yet at the same time, so incredibly thought provoking. Because there is no happy ending there either. It's not a happy ending. It's not a, it's not shooting your fucking kid in the head, but it's definitely not in any way, shape or form a happy ending. It is an incredibly dark and deep and thought provoking ending to that book and it pissed me off so much when I saw The Mist because I thought the ending to the book was fantastic and I couldn't wait to see how it played out with them walking away but instead of walking away Thomas Jane just is freaking oh no 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 and he's dropping down beside the Jeep Wagoneer and all this kind of shit as the as the cavalry comes through and I I again I applaud Frank Darabont for the balls. Don't get me wrong. He turned down in the article they talk about here how he he turned down double the budget just so that he could get the ending that he wanted. And it took him years to get the green light for this. So I applaud that that aspect. But Jesus Christ, the book was already good enough. Um, and that's so that's how I feel. That is how I feel. I believe dark endings are important, but I don't think the mist got it right. Um. And nothing's going to change me on that, ever.
Allow me to change your mind. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. Well, okay, so I know we're not reviewing the movie, but it was my first time seeing the movie, and it the movie pissed me off as a whole, though I think as a uh as a take on a 1950s horror movie that i think knowing that when you go into it and watching the director's cut which the director's cut is in black and white i think that will also add to the experience as well and i think that would go from you know just like oh well parts of the movie was good you know i think that that'll that'll be like the win all be all like that'll make you jump up to like oh you know oh that was actually an awesome movie because it was in black and white as well as knowing that it's not a full-on horror movie. Now, with saying that, the movie is rated R. It should have taken more uh, chances. It should have pushed the limit just a little bit more. Like, there were a couple references to John Carpenter's The Thing, and I wanted it to be more like The Thing, where it was terrifying, where when it was gory, it was gory, and where there was just that feeling of dread throughout the movie, uncertainty. And... This is where that kind of ties in with the ending of this movie, because I think dark endings very much matter, and I thought this movie did get it right, because there was the feeling uncertainty, not only on top of him having to shoot his child, three other innocent people, and his child, because he thought he was doing the right thing, what Darabont did to really stick that knife in and twist that knife into your gut, every emotion is just draining out of you because you're just... Uh, and again, the uh, the writer mentions this in, his, uh, in the article here, is that earlier on in the movie, there's this one woman in the, in the grocery store who wants to leave because she has to go find her kids. And she can't get... She couldn't get anybody to escort her back home. And she's freaking out, and she just decides to leave on her own to go find her children. And one of the guys she begged for help was uh, the lead character. And at the end of the movie, lo and behold, who is it that he sees driving right past her, holding her kids, you know, comforting her kids, is that woman that he failed to help out earlier on in the movie. And that right there is the final nail in the coffin. That is the the second knife just going deep into your stomach. And I and it was great. I think that's how it should have ended. It was it was perfect in that sense. And there are a lot of movies like that. These depressing bleak endings are important because you need that sense of uncertainty. A lot of movies don't incorporate that in their scripts because they're trying to please every motherfucker out there. Whenever and and, and this is something that I can uh, uh, that I can rag on uh, the Avengers, you know, any superhero movie about, is because there is no uncertainty when it comes to the characters. These characters are not making real decisions that therefore have real outcomes or real consequences. That can be powerful in a movie. I think the reasoning that you don't really get that or you're you're not really affected by whenever there is some drama in a superhero movie, especially like Avengers Age of Ultron, which we'll get to later on, is because there aren't enough movies out there with sad endings that really push you to the limit or push a character to the limit to where you're just left emotionally drained in a good way. 
So you don't really get those experiences that much anymore, especially even from war movies, you know, beforehand, like watching Saving Private Ryan, for example, or Black Hawk Down. You watch those movies and God, they can get so damn depressing because you're attached to those characters. And nowadays, if you go and see a war movie, you're just pretty much seeing a war. Well, okay, with the exception of Lone Survivor, that's an that's an exception. Lone Survivor is a fantastic movie because that is that is a sad movie because they crafted the film in a way to where you actually care about these people and what they're doing and what's going on. It's a well-made film. So again, you need dark endings to create uneasiness and the idea of no hope within the movie's story or or within the characters themselves. Now, I I too want to mention a couple movies that have uneasy endings that I think a lot of people bash these movies because of the endings. Um, well, one of them is actually super popular. It's Chinatown, which had an ending that came you know way out from left field. Uh, the whole thing about incest. A lot of people didn't like that because that was something you weren't used to seeing back in the day. And then the second movie is Terry Gilliam's Brazil. And Brazil is one of those movies where... You think there's a happy ending, like the character, at the end of the movie, the character gets caught. The good guy gets caught, the bad guy has him, and you think the bad guy is going to kill him. Until somebody comes and saves the day, rescues the good guy, and for the next ten minutes, he's home free, he's in, you know, he's going off, you know, he's he's living the happy life. No, in fact... The character received a lobotomy, and he is still stuck in that cell where he is now, you know, a, a vegetable. And that's just how the movie ends. You know, the bad guy performs a lobotomy, and he just basically washes his hands and walks away. And that's that's the end of the movie. A lot of people don't like those kind of movies, but you need that sense of that 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 feeling of being uh, of of hope, and then it being taken away from you. Because that needs to transfer on to other movies, movies that do have happy endings where they have uh, where they have like that climactic moment where it could, you know, you know, the characters could fall in love or they, they're, they're going to break up or this person's going to survive and this person's going to die. You need that feeling of uncertainty because you go into movies and expect that, oh, it's going to turn out OK. And that is not good in my book. Not good at all. So I'm just going to leave that there. I think it's a good article, and I hope uh, I hope everybody reads it. It is definitely worth checking out. And also watching these movies. And screw those clickbait things. All right. Well, cool. All right. I, the only thing I would say in kind of counter is <clears throat> I, I don't think uh, do sex machina, right? That's what, you, you know, hand to God, basically. Like at the end of the superhero movies and everything, where oh, magically he's okay in ten minutes, it's going to be fine. Um, I, I think that it—that's that—that's kind of bad, cliched writing, no matter what. I don't think that that's necessarily required to have a good ending, um, and I don't think that that's necessarily n- must be lacking to have a dark ending. I'm not trying. I wasn't meaning to be like specifically, you know, like that has to happen, but. I think there just needs to be something more to it than everybody taking it like at, you know, t- taking character emotions at face value where they're saying, this person is upset. Bruce Banner is upset because he is the Hulk. 
wouldn't you be upset if you were in Bruce Banner's shoes? Well, no shit. I mean, yeah. I mean, why? You know, you kind of no, want to. I don't think so. I think I could. I think I, I think that'd be great. You think you think you could swing it? I think I could. <laughs> I think I could. And so tune in next time for discussions with Matt and Tim. So that again was from uh, episode 126, Why Dark Endings Matter, there from ain'titcool.com. And um, since we have the opportunity, next week, again, we are going to be doing, when we get back to our regularly scheduled stuff uh, for 133, we're going to be doing uh, the Was It Worthy for Jack and Jill from 2012, which is the only film to have, uh, at least to this point, to have swept the Razzies. So was it worthy of sweeping the Razzies? And... Uh, I think we would normally have our film segment now, correct? That is correct. And boy, don't we have two very, very interesting throwbacks here from the original the original episodes. We really do. We actually did, wasn't it like a three squared where we did our most contentious movie reviews? We did, yeah. <laughs> so we, we definitely have, we, we, have at, we have gone a few rounds with some of these movies over the years and and even to this point uh, you know tim was like oh i think we should do these ones and i'm like no no i want to do it i, I really want to do these ones da, 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 da. and while we weren't arguing in terms of how it might look in this i mean you know it was definitely we've come a long way in terms of give and take <laughs> So, um, so the movies that you're going to be hearing are from episodes uh, 6 and 10 of the original series. And um, they will be Rubber and Hobo with a Shotgun, respectively. We'd love to hear your thoughts on these. Really and truly, this is probably the first time you guys are going to hear these. And yeah, it's rough audio more often than not and Tim's been doing a great job of remastering it and everything but um, I personally would really love to hear what you guys think so Tim anything you want to throw in there on these yeah uh, it's very rough audio especially on my end we were recording from these headset thingies yada 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 it, it, just take it all just take it all in and ride that <laughs> wave ride the wave of nostalgia the movie <laughs> In the Steven Spielberg movie, E.T., why is the alien brown? No reason. In Love Story, why did the two characters fall madly in love with each other? No reason. In Oliver Stone's JFK, why is the president suddenly assassinated by some stranger? No reason. In the excellent Chainsaw Massacre by Toby Hooper, why don't we ever see the characters go to the bathroom or wash their hands like people do in real life? Absolutely no reason. Worse, in The Pianist by Polanski, how come this guy has to hide and live like a bum when he plays the piano so well? Once again, the answer is no reason. I could go on for hours with more examples. The list is endless. You probably never gave it a thought. 
But all great films, without exception, contain an important element of no reason. This is what our killer looks like. Tired. Exactly. I give you an hour to find him. Can't have gotten far. If you have any questions, it's now or never. What brand of tire? We don't know yet. Probably brandless. Is it black? Blow my head off, you big slut. I have been a very naughty girl. I need a good thrashing. Go ahead. Kill me. I guess without further ado, it's time to talk some movies. Ah, yes. The moment everybody probably has been waiting for. Uh, I guess I'll go ahead and go first, if that's okay. okay. Um, Go for it. I'm going to jump into Rubber. Rubber was terrible. (laughs) Now, allow me to explain why. This movie could have been so much more than what it was. And this movie would have been amazing. If they had done one thing different. And what would that be? Just put the front, put the first six minutes as the last four minutes. If they had just tightened up that first six minutes to about four minutes and put it at the end. You, that movie would have been amazing. The, and the reason why is because Rubber is about a, basically a, a, a serial killer hell bent on revenge tire that tries to fall in love with a girl. Serial killer? Revenge tire? How, Matt? It's got basically a telekinetic, psychokinetic thing where it vibrates and it causes people's heads to explode. That's how it kills people. Now, the whole movie, and they tell you this up front, so I'm not spoiling anything for for anybody here, is it is a literal homage to why is this happening? For no reason at all. Shit happens. Exactly. The problem is, is that because it's an homage to that, and at the same time making fun of it, and then at the same time of making fun of it, has a dual plot that involves making fun of itself, so that it can make fun of that, all for no reason, destroys the whole illusion of what you're trying to do. Because they explain it to you right at the beginning. This whole movie happens for no reason. Why am I watching it? I'm literally asking you the question. Oh, you are? Yes. If I know up front that there is absolutely no point to this and there is absolutely no reason for it, then there is absolutely no reason to watch it. Well, no, 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 that's not true. I mean, there is a point to it. What's the the point? Well, see, what the beginning was trying to – what was telling you is that – well, why, why, why was the Tyler kill, or why was the Tyler, why was the tire killing people? Or wh- how can the tire kill people? Well, I mean, just shit happens. It just happens, kind of like what you were saying. Well, you know that up front, and I understand what you're saying. Well, if that was in the, at the end, I, I could see how that could work differently and how it could build up differently. It would have absolutely made the movie amazing because, Anybody who wants to try and figure out legitimately what's going on can. Anybody who wants to sit back and enjoy the ride can. Anybody who wants to be in the middle group there and try and do both can. And then to find out at the end, literally no reason. The people who were trying to figure it out and go, oh my God, of course, 
no reason. It makes perfect sense now. The people who are just sitting back and enjoying the ride go, that's hilarious. Oh, my God, this whole thing happened for no reason. And the people in the middle would have been probably, actually, those people probably would have been a little disappointed because they're like, oh, really? For no reason? I was I could have just sat back the whole time. But still, the movie then would have been amazing. And it would have made the spectator portion of the movie that much better. Because see, the spe- basically, for those, obviously, who have not seen this movie, uh, the movie is about the tire who is going on a killing spree. But at the same time, the movie is being narrated and kind of encapsulated so that you can, in case you get lost, they can kind of steer you in the right direction is a group of people who literally watch the movie as it happens by standing in one spot and looking at it through binoculars. So, so that is what the, that is kind of how, and, but then even then those spectators have their own plot that, that kind of rides along the movie. And see, that's what I liked about it. I love the monologue that the, uh, the cop gives at the beginning. Because I had no idea what to expect, especially the trailer. The trailer shows you about the Tyler or the Tyler. I keep saying Tyler. You know, the the trailer shows you about the tire, and you know it's killing people, but you don't know why. And so the whole monologue at the beginning of the movie shows the sheriff talking to these people, and the camera's just fixated on him the entire time. And he just basically says, "Why does this happen?" Well. Shit happens. No, no reason at all. I forget the exact words he say. So at that point, you know, like, okay, well, God, I, I, I know that this movie's about a killer tire, but I just don't. Oh, man, the movie's got to be stupid since it's about a killer tire. But at that point, when he says, "Well, shit happens," well, then it's like, well, okay, it happens. But then, but see, that's the whole thing is that it. You then, like, when the tire goes on its initial existential journey. And it just keeps falling over, and it keeps falling over, and then it tries to drink the water, and then it, you know, kills the... It rolls over the bottle, rolls over the glass bottle, and then all of a sudden it breaks it, whatever. It, it does... It, it takes too long. And then the music is really weird, and the music it does not aptly tie into what's going on, so that further throws you off. And after the first six minutes of nothing going on so that they can explain rather smartly again, because you know, uh, that it's about nothing. It's like, I, now it's just taking too long. Everything takes too long. I, it's literally just, well, then get to the end of it. And so it becomes literally like an hour too long. I disagree. I, I think the whole lead up of when you first meet the tire, and uh, this is going to sound really ridiculous for people who have no idea what the hell we are talking about. But when the tire, uh, you know, there, there's if you remember, there's that long shot, and you see the tire, and suddenly the tire starts moving. But it takes time before the tire, may, you know, finally gets up to start rolling around. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like somebody learning to walk for the first time. It tries, fails, tries again, fails again. Tries one more time, but fails, but then tries another time, and it succeeds. And to me, I thought that was just building the audience's relationship with the tire, because the tire, believe it or not, actually has a personality. And it actually is, you know, it's a character. And I thought the personality that the film uh, developed for it, as well as the tension itself and the time, and especially the pacing of the film... 
because without the pacing, you wouldn't have the uh, the particular comedy that the film kind of produced. At least, in, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, but the but but the pacing that the comedy that the pacing that creates the comedy that the film produces doesn't happen until well after that. I disagree. I think the, the it's comedy... not funny to watch a tire fall over. I think it is because it, to me watching it, I, I'm kind of looking at it, replacing that with a human, a human trying to do it, a person trying to walk. You know, because you, you you watch videos of like baby animals walking for the first time, and they, yes, but they don't... stamp and they fall. And... But see, you're now defeating by doing that. You're defeating the purpose of the film because no, the purpose not. of the, no, because the purpose of the film is that everything in this movie happens for no reason. Exactly. You, it does. But you are. But you are searching, or not even searching, you are assigning reasonable actions to an unreasonable situation. Whoa, hang on, hang on. That is kind of preposterous, because what they're saying This movie is, is preposterous. <laughs> <laughs> so what they're saying that is, uh, to where, like, shit happens, is that a tire... He doesn't say, okay... See, okay, there he doesn't again. say shit happens. He does okay, not he say shit happens. He, he says say shit ha- no I, I'm reason. Everything okay. is no reason. That's what he says at the beginning. Everything is no reason. This exactly. movie is an homage to no reason. Exactly. Everything has no reason. Okay, so why is a tire living? Well, there's no reason why that really the tire has a life. There, there's no explanation of it except that there is no reason. That's what I love about it. But well, then why are you saying that you associate the tire getting up with developing a personality akin to watching – it's not. It's, it's watching it, – It is. It, it is. It's developing a character. It has not – Again, I, and I would agree with you. I would I, – I, would, I might agree with you but for different reasons or I might disagree with you and find something else cinematically valuable with what you're trying to say except for the fact that there's no reason for it. There is there no is. reason for it, and they there tell is. you that there is what, no reason for it. No, 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 they don't t- – wait, hang on. No, what they tell you there is no reason for is what is happening, as in that the tire is you know, alive or the, no. the tire – It's everything yes. from the way the car drives up and not – there's chairs standing out there for no reason. The chairs fall apart and break apart because he hits every single one. The dude climbs out of the trunk with a glass of water. Goes through oh, his yeah. whole spiel, well, I mean, uh, well, and the whole thing is for no reason, and then he dumps the water out, and he gets back into the trunk and drives away. doesn't have any reason, but still, there is the, develop, so the development the- of characters. Even the cop, there's character development. The entire movie, there's a setup, there's tension. There is a reason for all of that. To me, it makes sense. There is a character. It makes sense because everything's happening for no reason so that you have a context with which to put it in. So you're not trying to figure it out. You're not hurting your brain trying to figure out this movie. I think that no matter what you wanted to take away from it, to find out at the end that it all happened for no reason would have been the best thing in the world. But... Going into it, knowing that there's no reason for anything to for, for what you're watching is just trying to kind of like, uh, okay, so what happens now? And don't get me wrong, there was still some chuckle worthy stuff, uh, you know, like the the audience members, you know, they starve them <laughs> and everything, and then don't want to give away some stuff on that side of it. But you know, and then to watch the Vietnam guy, uh, Wings Hauser. 
you know, he was definitely my favorite character in the whole thing was Wings Hauser, followed by the guy that played the sheriff. I, I can't recall his name. You know, so those are my two favorite characters in the movie. Don't get me wrong. I, and they were good. When they, when they went away from the tire to develop those characters, because even though it was happening for no reason, you could still have the fun of picking the people that you liked and didn't like based on their personality traits and the way they portrayed themselves, even if that was happening for no reason. Well, exactly. But, yeah, they... but with the tire, and specifically at the beginning, when where you say it's trying to set up, and I understand what you're saying, uh, it it took too long. Since it's happening for no reason, do you need all that extra time to try and make you feel and understand the position of the tire? No, just let it start rolling and start blowing people up. You get it, you know. That would be shit. That would be bullshit. That would, I, the movie I, I, okay. is bullshit. Okay, yeah, okay. Okay, so as what people don't realize, Matt and I do indeed have a totally different stance on movies. I look at movies in a completely different fucking way. So, I, okay. I beg people listen to this specific review of Rubber because I have a feeling we can argue about this movie for a very long time. I don't know. It's just it's just a character development thing and I mean I can see where you're coming from, Matt, but to me I don't know. Again, I and I can see where you're coming from too, and I would agree with you if they had not spoiled the premise by giving the whole no reason spiel at the beginning. If they had done it at the end it would have it would have made the movie perfect because then whatever you wanted to assign to it automatically becomes your valid statement for whatever you're assigning to it because it doesn't matter that you found out at the end that it's no reason but when you go in knowing that there's no reason it completely colors everything that you're looking at now you can choose like you did to find whatever it is that you, or not even to find, but to take from it what you want. Or you could be like me and go, what the hell am I watching this for? Because there's no reason for any of this to happen. Okay, spoiler alert. Okay, so the, the movie ends with tires taking over, I guess, the world and whatnot. <laughs> well, at least heading into Hollywood. Anyway. Yeah, at least, at least heading into Hollywood. But to me, that was... If I remember correctly, wasn't that the ending shot with them heading down? Uh, you know, the yeah, road, they're they're the, coming, the yeah, they're com- yeah, the, to the Hollywood sign. But then the credits roll, and they do the spiel from the side. They do the no reason spiel from the side with the accountant standing there. Yeah, and that was perfect. I wish they'd have done it that way. They could have shown them. They could have shown him driving up. Okay. And then when he gets out, flip the camera to the side so he could do the monologue straight into the original camera. You can just totally see it from the side with the accountant. Because the look on the accountant's face was the look on my face by the end of the movie. And anybody who would have been desperately trying to understand or try to assign reason or try to figure it out 
to see that that would have made would have been perfect. It would have been priceless, and that was what would have made the movie. But for me, going into it with the knowledge that there was no reason for anything I was about to see, it it, it ruined it for me. And that is that is where it stands. For Matt. Yes. All right. Well, comment on it, please, people. Please. Yes, yes. We're going to definitely need some audience feedback on this one. Yeah, we, we, we really do. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Okay, so moving on to another movie. What do we want to talk about? I used to be like you a long time ago. They're all brand new and perfect. No mistakes, no regrets. People look at you and think of how wonderful your future will be. They want you to be something special, like a doctor or a lawyer. I hate to tell you this, but if you grow up here, you're more likely to wind up selling your bodies on the streets. We're shooting dope from dirty needles in a bus stop. And if you're successful, you'll make money selling junk to crackheads. They won't think twice about killing someone's wife. Because you won't even know what's wrong in the first place. with a shotgun uh, was the movie we were both supposed to watch together um, and basically this is a movie with uh, Rutger Hauer and he and again this is a film that pays the most ridiculous homage to every single uh, late 70s early 80s exploitation movie you can possibly think of uh, including and, and, and not just exploitation but also uh, uh, a little bit of horror as well, and and basically he plays a hobo who comes to a town uh, called I think it's called Hope Town is the supposed name, but basically it's all like they spray paint over the word hope with like hell or something. So fuck, like, they call it Fuck Town. Um, well, that too, and um, and so he's comes you know so he comes to the town and really he's just trying to make a fresh start for himself and. Um, start a, a lawn mowing business, you know, basically just wants to get a lawn mower and, uh, and mow people's lawns, you know? Uh, and of course the town he lands in though has to be the most, 
evil, twisted, corrupt town ever in the history of evil, twisted, corrupt towns. Imagine, uh, for those who have ever seen the Chainsaw Massacre, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, if the crazy-ass family that ran that little house and pretended to be the sheriff and stuff, but put it in an actual city, like, I don't know, uh, a small city, like a, like a mining town or something like that. So, I mean, you know, and, and that's the crazy whacked outside of it. And the movie itself is kind of, is based in the eighties even. Yes. I would, yeah. I was actually going to go with, uh, uh, mid to late seventies based on clothing. Oh uh, no. Cars. No, that that's, that's eighties. That is definitely eighties. Well, having grown up and watched that stuff when it really happened, I'm going to go with late 70s. That's just me, because I kind of lived it. But I could be wrong. Maybe I was living something else at the time when you weren't alive yet? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go with early 80s. Uh, yeah, uh, but it doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it is definitely easily within that time frame. We'll give it, uh, shall we say, 77 to 83. Uh, you want to give it a, a somewhere in All there? Right, that's, that's fine. <laughs> okay. All right. Is that early enough 80s for you? Um, but uh, at any rate, so he still just tries to keep his head down and just kind of do his own thing until he uh, and, and and he degrades himself finally to the point where he gets himself taped or whatever, eating glass and stuff like that and being stupid hobo or whatever. And makes his money to go buy his lawnmower. And then he goes to the pawn shop, and the pawn shop gets robbed. <laughs> and he pulls, and, and so he sees a shotgun right on the wall mounted above the lawnmower and, and pulls down the shotgun and starts laying waste. And there's Hobo with a shotgun, decides to clean up the town. <laughs> this... <laughs> Hobo, like a, one of the newspaper headlines read, you know, Hobo stops begging, demands change. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, stuff like that was funny. And the, and the whole idea of Hobo with a shotgun, to me, it's really, really good. And especially the idea of all this evil and craziness is going on in this town, but, you know... Who cares about what's going – like how they're getting away with it, you know? Right. The suspension of, I guess, logic in, in that regards as well. That's totally the type of movie that they're playing homage to, how they were like in, in many, many ways. What would you rate it exactly? I uh, gave it four out of five stars uh, on Netflix for whatever that's worth. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. It is not by any stretch of the imagination one of the best movies ever, um, which which is what prevented it from being five stars because I gave it four stars for really enjoying it for what it was. And it is a terrible, terrible uh, ripoff of every exploitation movie and slight and, and with nods to horror as well. Um, ever. And I just really liked how they pulled it off. I, I, I think the only thing that could have made it perfect was if the blood they used was that acrylic paint looking blood that, uh, they used back in, back in the late seventies and early eighties, um, for the cheaper movies. Uh, but, it, but they did use, you know, today's corn syrup blend of blood. And 
I loved it. I loved the 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 music that was playing at the beginning and the credits rolling and how uh and how it looked when he came into town on the rail and uh I loved how it just the the how outrageous that it was and the story and how simple it was and also how ridiculous it was from including the the bad guy who has the two sons and one's just, they're both evil, but one's stupid and one's smart, and all the way also to the plague, which is supposedly these mythological bad guys. And this is kind of the nod to the horror aspect of it. Uh, these mythological people who supposedly have been living for, <laughs> for hundreds of years <laughs> with, like, plate armor and have a giant octopus or giant squid in their in their basement. and and they have like all these pictures on the wall of all the people that they've killed including like you know queen elizabeth the first like from the 1700s or whatever abraham lincoln's on the wall all these people that they're like supposedly responsible for killing and they're like the demons incarnate um and and they're the the people that uh they're the evil hit squad that gets called when the bad guys can't do it on their own. All right. I gave the movie two out of five stars. Because you didn't like it, huh? Because I didn't like it. Now, I mean, after thinking about it for a while, I will go and give it two and a half out of five. The film plays homage to many different genres, as what Matt was saying. And to me, that's what kills it. You have a revenge flick. You have an 80s or late 70s monster-type flick, a post-apocalyptic-type feel to it, a mindless gore flick, just uh, just an abundance of all this stuff. And the film has, well, at many times, captures the essence of all these quite wonderfully, but it's fragments. But the in-your-face, over-the-top gore within the first 30 minutes of the movie made me completely immune for what was what was yet to come in the next 45 minutes or whatnot. The movie has a 67% uh, fresh on the tomato meter on Rotten Tomatoes. And obviously people really dig this film. They really like it. And I can see why they like it. And I'm a huge fan of these cult movies. Like I grew up watching a lot of this stuff. So I, I can definitely appreciate what they're trying to go for. And in fact, for the movie Grindhouse that Tarantino and Rodri- uh, Rob Rodriguez made, uh, this movie got made because they won a contest where they made a short film, kind of like what this was, but with different actors. And they won the uh, the trailer contest for Grindhouse. And I guess after that, they decided to make this movie. To me, this is really like like a salty mix of all these different genres. And you have like the beginning when he's riding on the train, which I loved. And you had like the classic 70s orchestrational type music that goes really well. And eventually you'll move into like the really zombie, uh, zombified, late 70s, early 80s, kind of really corny, like synthesized keyboard, like wow, 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 wow type of thing. And then by the end of the movie, whenever the, the plague people come along, you have the John Carpenter type. I call it the smooth jazz synthesized keyboard of scary whatever uh, films of that time. And I wanted them to stick with one and move on because I, I was kind of getting into the beginning. And, and like I said, I'm putting the, the, mind, the mindless gore and whatnot aside. But then by the time we got to the end with the uh, plague people, to me that was kind of a 
cop-out. I mean, I understand they were going for a homage to all this different stuff, but I think they should have totally just kept to one particular style. It was just too many different types of style. And like I said before, it was also the uh, the insane gore at the beginning. Things can be done, you know, even like the gory, even Planet Terror with Grindhouse, or even a lot of the zombie films from the 70s, like the uh, movie uh, Zombie that Matt and I are planning on seeing here in a couple of weeks, made by an Italian horror filmmaker from the time. It was bloody as hell, but the, the the movie still had story parts of it that were are interesting. It had some humor, and it, the movie was so bad itself that it made up for the crazy, ridiculous gore, and it just kind of all fit together. With this one, it seemed like they were doing the gore just to do it, just to do the gore, just say, "Oh, it would be great to do this," blah 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 blah, and this, but it really didn't add to me. It didn't add anything to the film. Just an excess of. Oh, see, there, there you go, though. But say that's just it. Is you say you let the first thirty minutes or the first ten minutes or whatever of gore numb you to everything else that, uh, or make you immune or whatever to everything else that happened in the movie, and that's the whole point of that first ten, fifteen minutes of gore is to it's immediately. It's not the first. It's not. It, it, it's the first thirty minutes. It's not it's, what made. It, I just got tired of it. I was but that's ready the to whole turn thing it off. Is that it's that it. It still escalates. It, it you, you're sitting there saying that it's, it's you were tired of it or whatever, but or that you were numb to it or immune to it or however you want to say it. You're sitting there saying that the that it was that it was gore for gore's sake, and it's not. That's the whole thing is that you're wanting it to stick to one homage, but it can't. You cannot. That's the that's the problem with the exploitation genre. That's the problem with the horror thriller kind of a genre, especially when it's done poorly is that it can't you can't carry it anymore you can't carry it anymore you can't do i spit on your grave now there's a reason why you can't do i spit on your grave now there's a reason why the the last house on the left couldn't when it was remade still sucked because you can't do just one thing anymore and that's why the story as simple as it was they used all those genres and they poked fun at them and they poked fun at themselves and they used them in all, in that order like with what you said with the music and everything yeah i, I see, in but that it, did, order. it doesn't go together but that's just it is that the, it's a simple coherent story of hobo with a shotgun Correct, but the film is playing a homage to uh, to those type of movies, to right. the, and to, as it's like the low budget exploitation. I understand that, but with it, you have to. I mean, I, I think know. you're expecting too much. I think I'm not I, expecting too much, Matt. It's just it's kind of, to me. I think it kind of goes back to the whole uh, the black the movie The Black Death. You know, for me, I enjoyed it from the entertainment value of you know i guess the story and really what i liked about it and you did you didn't like it for your reasons and with this i kind of see you like it for you know the reasons that you you said you liked it and there there are i mean there are many features of this film that i really did enjoy i mean i thought whenever they you know they were, they were showing the different types of exploitation film or not showing but it moved into the to the one whenever it got kind of got settled in before to me it it would ruin itself or screw itself over, I was enjoying it. Like, whenever I got used to the plague, 
demon people or whatnot, when they were trampling through the hospital, you know, shooting people and, you know, shooting them up, making them hang from the ceiling. I thought that was awesome. I wanted to see more cool stuff like that. I mean, instead of spending, I I, I mean, it's low budget, obviously, but the budget that they had on certain things, they could have used it to expand and to make it more fun in the pacing, exciting to look at what the character will do next. Instead of just like killing, 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 killing within the first 30 minutes, there can be more of like a buildup to it to where by the time it's over, it means something. I mean, this is what this is what even what Wes Craven did with Last House on, on the left in the commentary and documentary. He even talked about it of the genre at the time. Of course, with even uh, uh, exploitation, uh, but exploitation films, there are different even subgenres with that. It's just, you know, with anything else, you just kind of pick and choose what you like and, you, you know, you don't like. I felt that the characters themselves were there. I thought Rutger Hauer did a tremendous job as the hobo with the shotgun. It, it felt to me, especially the girl... A lot of it felt too modern for me. Actually, that might be the sole reason, really. To me, it just felt a little too modern. It didn't feel as authentic as it could have been. Well, and there you go. So you feel that it was it wasn't authentic. I think that um, I think that the utilization of a drastically simple story told through the prism of continuing the changing of the different styles of exploitation genre stayed true to all of those particular genres and never stayed with one too long. And I, and I thought it was great. And you obviously uh, feel the opposite. So I don't think we're ever going to agree on it. So I think we should just go ahead and move to the next movie. (laughs) I I know, but I I like, I like, making points and talking about this is fun this is what it's about well and and i think i think at this point they have realized uh that that you don't like it and i do like it so they're either gonna watch it and agree with you and watch it and agree with me or neither and they're gonna be like well i don't know i'm in a different camp i'm in the you know agnostic camp of this movie really okay so okay and again, that was Rubber from uh, the original series, Episode 6, and Hobo with a Shotgun, the original series, Episode 10. That is the end of the movies and the flicks. Next week's movies are, of course, going to be for Episode 233 when we come back. Alien Covenant. Is there anything else we want to say, Tim? Or is it just regular old spiel time? I think we can consider this best of episode a minor success, which is still a success in my book. Right on. So then do we just, shall we just do the spiel? Spiel it on. Or... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, here we go. <sighs> all right, well, uh, the music you've been listening to at portions and times throughout this wonderful show has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. Uh, you can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. For our masterpiece discussion, that, of course, is from MuseOpen.org. And we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLScast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLScast. You can follow me. This is Matt on Twitter at nitwit12345. You can also climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio as well as track us down on the old SoundCloud. So until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to me, 
Fuck thanks to me. Thanks to Tim. We had one hell of a best of episode. Take care, cinephiles. And if it's a best of episode, we will still talk at you. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>